God is so good every morning, amen? I am not always so good, but every time I wake up, I thank God that I was, I was given the opportunity for that day to see his goodness, to know his faithfulness, and to be able to show his love. God is so loving and kind and patient and generous with us. And uh, the Bible says, as we freely receive, we should freely what? Give. Give. That keeps the giving going. And uh, God is always looking for a vessel to flow through. Um, This week, uh, we had the... uh, the blessing of our grandson coming into town. He has been with us for a couple of days, and uh, we decided we'd do something with him because he was missing his cousins who were uh, with some other family. And so we decided we'd take him down to Corning Museum of Glass. And that was really amazing. I, I remember going there as a kid and remember taking our kids, but I didn't remember it being so spectacular as it is now. But as we were driving back, along Seneca Lake, uh, all the way along were vineyards that I never saw before either because I don't think they were there, but uh, row after row of vineyards. And and, uh, our grandson looked out the window and he said, look at all the farms. And I said, yeah, those are vineyards. And as we're driving by, I'm continuing to be reminded by the Spirit of God of the, what we've been studying. We've been studying about what Jesus taught about vineyards and how important that teaching is to us today. And uh, we're going to continue on in that teaching. You can see these these grapes that are magnificent and uh, amazing, but that doesn't just happen. Did you know that that the the grape is the one of the most labor intensive things to grow? It takes time every day to be able to get them to the place where they will produce a crop that is economical. And uh, not only does it take time, it takes understanding and an expertise that very few people have. And so a, 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 a vineyard isn't something that just happens. I don't know about you, but um, as I walk around where we live, I see these vines. And uh, at times I've seen raspberry thickets and little viney things. But there are also these grape vines, and, and I was waiting for grapes, but they never came. And one of the neighbors said, yeah, that's a muscadine. Anybody familiar with muscadine? A muscadine grape. And uh, he said, you know, I could, I could put it up for it to bear, bear fruit, but I don't have the time or the patience, and I don't want to put forth the effort. But there is somebody here who does put forth some effort to uh, have a trellis and, and an arbor and have grapes. And he's invited me over to see it. That's Bob, uh, Bob Virgiline. And, and so, Bob, I'm coming sometime to see that. Maybe we'll all show up someday. <laughs> but this morning, we're going to look at um, what Jesus said in John chapter 15. We've been studying this for quite a while. And it's about growing and how God has for us to grow to bear fruit. Uh, But before we do, I just want to pray. So if you'd bow your heads. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time together. Lord, each person here has made a decision to uh, be here instead of somewhere else, whether it's their bed or breakfast or whatever it might be. And Father, you're a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. So Father, we thank you today for what you will uh, reveal to us. Holy Spirit, give us understanding and revelation so that we can 
apply your truth to our lives and experience transformation. Father, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you that you have for us a plan to be changed, to go from glory to glory. But Father, it takes us listening and looking for you to respond to you and you do what only you can do because you're at work in us to will and to do your good pleasure. But we partner with you so that we can yield and allow you to have your way in us and through us, the people all around us would see and experience your love and your goodness. And we thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. So in John chapter 15, this is the scripture that we've had uh, as kind of a foundational scripture, uh, verse 8 and verse 16. Jesus said this to his disciples. This was on the night that as, as Mark spoke about in the upper room after the, the um, Last Supper, they were headed over towards the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was going to pray before he was betrayed and he was beaten and then eventually went to the cross and died. But he was walking through the Kidron Valley and as he was in the moonlight, uh, he was walking through a vineyard. And I imagine that what he did was he stopped in that moment with his disciples all around him and, and he held up a, a, a bunch of grapes, and he, he began to speak about this. But Jesus shows the importance of bearing fruit in our lives. He said in verse 8, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. So we realize that the fruit that's produced in our life, which is out of a partnership with God, it's not God doing it all. God's never going to do it all. He's done what he's going to do, but then it's just like salvation. Did God do it all? I know you're, you're afraid to answer that question. Well, let me help you. Yes, God did it all. He paid the price for sin. But how come if God paid the price for sin, not everybody's going to heaven? Because there's a part that we each have, whether we're going to recognize what Jesus did, acknowledge it, accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, repent of our sin, and then. So God has his part. He's done it. We have our part. Are we going to do it? And just like salvation, this is the same way in the rest of our Christian life. God has his part. God's going to do his part no matter what. God's going to be faithful even when we're faithless, the Scripture says. But the question is, are we going to do our part? Because without us doing our part, the fullness of what God intended will never happen in our lives. And it doesn't, if it doesn't happen in our lives, it can't happen through our lives the way God intended. So Jesus reveals how important fruit is in our lives, that it, it absolutely proves that we are true disciples of his and that it brings great glory to the Father. And then in verse 16, Jesus said this, you did not choose me, I chose you and orchestrated all this so that you would be sent out and bear great and perpetual fruit. As you do this, anything you ask my Father in my name will be done. Now, we really like that last part of that verse, don't we? Anything we ask the Father in Jesus' name, it'll be done. And a lot of times Christians get real cynical, they get real upset, they re get really disappointed and depressed about the fact, well, I'm asking, I'm asking. And he, he said, if I ask in Jesus' name, and we ask all sorts of crazy stuff and put in Jesus' name at the end. I want you to know God's not going to honor that prayer. Jesus' name at the end of a prayer doesn't rubber stamp it so it flies through heaven and God says, okay, granted. 
that's not going to happen. When it says in Jesus' name, it means in Jesus' nature, in his character, in his principles, in his ways, in his kingdom. If it's contrary to that, he's not going to answer that prayer. So it's important that we know, what are his kingdom principles? What does his word say? What, what is his character like? Because if we deviate from that, it's not going to be God's best. And God loves you and me and everyone else too much to give us less than the best. And so that's where we've got to realize that when we do what God has for us to do, then he can entrust us with everything. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Does anybody remember what the rest of that scripture says? And all these other things. It's talking about the things that the Gentiles seek after. People that don't know God are seeking after all this stuff. But in the kingdom of God, if we'll seek after God and his kingdom and his righteousness first, all these other things that everybody's trying to get, every day here, it'll be added to you. You don't have to seek after that. You know, you can't go after two things at the same time. If I say to you, go through that door and go through that door, you got to make a choice, right? Well, the same thing in our Christian life. We've got to make a choice what we're going after. What are we going to seek first? And, and unfortunately in our lives, many times it's kind of like a rotating thing that different things come to the top. But there's only one that can be at the top of our lives as Christians. That's why the Bible says that Jesus is to have the preeminence, first place in number and importance in all things. The moment we move Jesus out of that place, everything else is out of order. Nothing is going to work the way God intended. And the only one that wants that chaos in our life is the enemy of your soul. Because he can exploit that chaos and steal, kill, and destroy. But God wants you to have abundant life. And the only way that happens is as our life is in order with God, there is more opportunity for God to be able to do things in our lives and through our lives that he has always intended that would reveal his kingdom and his character and his love and his goodness. Uh, But right here we see these things, and, and Jesus began this, In John chapter 15 with verse 1, uh, we're going to read verse 1 through verse 5. We've read through verse 11, but today we're going to just read this and kind of move into looking at what's going on here. Jesus said, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. That's a scary thought. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do what? Nothing. Now that's, that's, that's a pretty... Hard statement in some ways because it's telling us we can do nothing, but we know better than that, don't we? We did all sorts of things this week without even considering God, didn't we? (laughs) But remember, remember when, when we compare Scripture to Scripture in 1 Corinthians 13, it says... We can do all sorts of things, but we, if we don't do it in love, if we don't do it out of a motivation 
an attitude of love of God that amounts to nothing. So without him, we can do nothing. We can do all sorts of things, but they amount to nothing. And that's where, I don't know about you, I don't have time to waste. I don't want to waste my life doing all sorts of things and getting to the end of my life and standing before the Lord and waiting for a well-done, good and faithful servant and then not hearing it because I, I wasn't a servant of God. I was a servant of myself. I was serving myself. I was serving all sorts of other people and all sorts of other programs and things like that. And, and we're here to serve God. First and foremost, serve God. And this is, this is going to indicate to us how this happens because for us to be fruitful, to bear fruit, to prove that we're true disciples of Jesus, to bring glory to the Father... There's a process, just like the vineyards. In the vineyards, there's a process. Do you know that, that between three and, and five years, there's not a lot that goes on except training the vine? And then on the fifth or sixth year, it finally is ready to have a harvest, but it's not big enough to have a full harvest. But after the sixth year, on the seventh year, isn't it amazing it's the seventh year? How many days did it take God to create the earth? Seven. It's called the day, the number of completion. And so on, on the seventh year, it begins to produce a harvest that can be economical. And for the next three decades, it produces. And by the 40th year, there starts to be a decline in its production. I don't know about you, but when I hit 40, I felt it. But that's, that's what God does. God has this plan. He's got a season. He's got things that are in order. And, and many times we just want to do it the way we want to do it. And that's, if it's not God's order, it's disorder. And disorder is destructive. And so God has an order and a way to do all things. And uh, this morning, I, hopefully you, you received a sheet. This is not normal for me, okay? So I'm way out of my comfort zone, but I really felt like God said, this is what you need to do, and so I'm going to be obedient to God no, no matter how uncomfortable it is. And so there's a sheet that you have to take notes on, and I know that I am one of these people that if somebody has a sheet of notes for me, yeah, that's it. Uh, I, I get real upset if I don't get all the fill in the blanks. I just don't like leaving without it. And, and if that happens, just giving you a little insight into your pastor. If that happens to me, I usually go up to the speaker afterwards and say, I missed these, these blanks. Could you tell me what they are? And, and, you know, I don't know what they think of me, but I want to get my blanks filled in because I want all the information I can get. So this morning, I'm going to give you all the fill-ins real quickly so nobody walks out of here being upset that you didn't get your blanks filled in. I'll fill in your blanks. All right, so it says here, grow fruitful is John 15, verse 2 and verse 5. We're going to look at the three stages of our fruit-bearing. Partnership is the first blank with God. This is all about partnership with God. As a Christian, we can't do anything of any eternal value, of any lasting impact that God would have us do without God. So everything's a partnership with God. The first 
the first stage of our fruit bearing is no fruit to fruit. All right? It starts out that way. Every vine, every Christian starts out no fruit. But how many of you know God, just like the vine dresser, just like the owner of the vineyard, just like the owner of the fig tree that we learned about, they expect fruit to happen. Right? Should not be barren for the rest of his existence. Well, I'm just a little vine here, and I don't have any fruit, but I'm taking up sun and, and uh, nutrients from the earth, and I'm just having a grand old time. No, 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 it's not about us. God has for us as Christians, when we become born again, when we become alive to God, we receive eternal life through Jesus Christ, all of a sudden there's supposed to be something that not just happens in us, but happens through us to all the people around us. We begin to bear this fruit. We bring glory to the, the Father. We prove we're disciples of Jesus, and we impact the people around us. That's the only way they're going to know God. That's the only way they're going to experience heaven on earth. You are a vessel that God wants to pour into, but not just to, but through to impact all the people around you because they're not going to see God unless they see Christ in you. And the Bible says it's Christ in us that's the hope of glory. So it's a partnership with God, a no fruit to fruit, and that requires God lifting. God lifting, okay? And we'll, we'll talk about that today. Uh, then the second stage of fruit bearing is fruit to more fruit. How many of you know if you get a little bit of fruit, it's always like, nice to have more fruit? You know, very, very rarely are we ever satisfied with what we have. And God wants increase. God wants to take us. Does anybody remember what God changes us from to? Glory to glory, ever-increasing glory. That's better and better. If we're going to have abundant life, whatever life you have right now, God wants you to have even more to the place where it is just absolutely overflowing. And so if, if, if that's the case, we're to go from glory to glory, then we need to grow, go from fruit to more fruit. All right? And that requires... God, this is your next blank, God pruning, all right? And we're going to go into this at a later date, but I'm just giving you the blanks right now. And then the third stage of fruit bearing, that's where it goes from more fruit to much fruit. Now, I just want you to put a note on your paper about the word much. That word much is a word that, that is plistos. It's the word we get plenteous or plenty from, and it actually is defined as abundant, the most, or the largest number. This is the maximum capacity. So we go from no fruit to fruit, we have some fruit. Now from that fruit to more fruit, and then from more fruit to the most fruit. That sounds like God to me, doesn't it, to you? Okay, and that requires, now remember, this is a partnership. We're seeing God is going to be the one that lifts us. God is going to be the one that prunes us. Where's our part? Well, this is our part. This is the biggest part for us. We're involved in the other two. But in this part, it's where it requires our abiding. 
And we're going to go through each one of these stages, and we're going to look at them, and we're going to understand them, hopefully by the time we're done, and we're going to see how God actually does this kind of thing. Uh, but, but going back to um, verse 2 and verse 5, we'll just look at those. Again, Jesus said, every branch in me that does not bear fruit. So we're in him. When it says we're in Christ, we're connected to him. But something should happen about our connection to God. When we become born again, we become alive to God. God was not able to work in our lives the way he intended before that. Does he do things for us? Yes, he does. He's always doing things for us. We don't ever realize how much he's doing. But in that moment that we become born again, we are found in him. We're alive in him. There's a connection there. But initially, it doesn't have a real big impact around us. It has a real big impact in us. But as much as it's having a big impact in us, it should eventually make it to the surface. All right? If Jesus is Lord of our lives, then the Lord of our life should be seen in our lives. That's why the fruit of the Spirit is so important. When we let God have his way in our lives, it, we begin to bear this fruit. But it's the fruit of God having his way in our lives. Where Once we were, we were impatient, and now we have patience. And once we were unkind, and now we're kind. And once we were real selfish and stingy, and now we're generous. Do you see how that works? It works in us, but then it's got to work up to the surface of us and begin to be seen and experienced by all the people around us. That's the fruit. And so we have no fruit, and then we gain fruit. And, and as God continues to have his way in us, we continue to give him more ground. How many of you know when you give your life to Christ, you give him all of it, but not all of it is going to line up with him? It takes a lifetime in this life for us to continue to give things over to him and realign ourselves with him. And so that's where the fruit goes to more fruit. And it's because the first one is because he lifts us. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And we found out a couple of weeks ago that is a very poor translation. All right? That translation actually means to lift up or to raise. Because if you're in Christ, he's not going to cut you off and say, tough luck, too late, you're done. God never does that. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God loved us. He never just wrote us off. And so when it says every branch that does not bear fruit, he there's a, a note in the King James Version. Many of your Bibles have it. There's a footnote. And it says where it says takes away, it actually means lifts up or raises. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. So there's a, a lifting of God, a raising up of God. Then there's a pruning of God. But again, how many of you know if God lifts us up, we can jump right back to where we were? Oh, come on. Yeah. Yeah, been there, done that many times. And, and that's where we've got to continue to grow and, and yield to God and submit to God and to love God and want what God wants more than what we want. So he proves that it would bear more fruit. 
And then, then it tells us that, uh, that when we bear much fruit, it's because we abide. We choose to abide with him. But this morning, we're going to look at verse 2. Verse 2 is really important because it's the beginning stage when we come to Christ. And unfortunately, there are many Christians that don't get much fruit in their lives. And, and I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for just a second. And I'm going to ask you a personal question. I'm going to ask you a penetrating question. And it could be a problematic question this morning. How much fruit do people see in your life? This isn't really a question you can answer for yourself. You have an idea, and many times we grade ourselves on a curve. We think we're better than we are, or we fall into the other ditch that the enemy wants us in, either in pride or we're in that place of, of just feeling so poorly about ourselves because he's beaten us up, the enemy, for so long, and we think, well, I, 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 I can't do anything. I, I'll never amount to anything. I'll never. That, hey, that's not true. The creator of the universe lives in you. All things are possible. And so how much fruit is in your life? Not, not a completely negative and not I've got more fruit than I know what to do with. None of us do. There's always room for improvement. But recognizing that God wants to take you from wherever you are right now to a place of even more abundance especially in fruit. You can open up your eyes. But this is something we don't just do on a Sunday morning. We ought to do this all the time. I'm telling you, I have been very much encouraged and challenged by God because he doesn't always encourage me. He challenges me a lot of times to look at the fruit that I bear when I'm in a car. Yeah, I'm wringing my hands because I have, I have realized Man, if somebody just were to ride with me on a bad day, they might not know I'm saved. And they would definitely never guess I was a pastor. I'm <laughs> being honest with you. Because sometimes I am just so self-oriented, so selfish about why everybody is on my road and in my way. And it may, not, it may not be as you drive. It may be in the grocery store. It may be somewhere else and something else. But we all fight this. Because the reality is, as human beings, we are self-focused. And God wants to free us of that. If God's focused on us and taking care of all that we need, why do we need to get in the way of him? Ever think about that? It's just like the boys when they would, they would want to help dad when they were little. Well, I want you to know they did want to help. That was genuinely what they wanted to do, but they were no help. Whatever they helped with, it always took longer. It, it didn't usually work out as smoothly as, as if I had done it by myself. But they wanted to help. And I've got to tell you something. You and I can't help God. When Abraham and Sarah decided they were going to help God in his plan, what happened? It was nothing good, right? Nothing good. And, and their trying to help God continues to be a thorn in Israel's side. 
But that's where, that's where we've got to realize it is a partnership. We don't help God, but we do what we need to do. God does what he can do, and we can. Understand this. Can we do what God's part is? No, absolutely not. So we shouldn't even try, right? Because it's an exercise in frustration and futility. We let God be God. Can God do what our part is? Yes. Should he? No. Because if he did our part too, there'd be no partnership. We've got to bring something. And so God gives us the opportunity to partner with him and do things that are within the realm of our ability to do. And most of our ability lies in choice. We are able to choose, make choices of what, what direction, who we're going to pursue and what we're going to value and, and those types of things. But right here in verse 2, looking at this, this first stage of fruit bearing, no fruit to fruit, it says that he lifts us up. He lifts up. And, and John, if you would show uh, the number two and see, this is what happens in a vineyard as we were passing these vineyards. All the vineyards had these stakes, these poles that were placed uniformly a distance apart. And it was so that they could run this wire or rope or whatever it was and they would initially train the, the vines to start up. And when they got big enough and long enough, they would begin to wrap them around these lines that go across. Go to the next one, John. Thank you. You see, there's a, there's a rope right there. There's a wire right there. And it's up there, but not all of it is gripping it. Because what eventually happens is when a, when a grapevine grows... It naturally grows along the ground. And when it grows along the ground, it never produces fruit. Well, I say never. Rarely does it produce fruit. And any fruit that it produces is of inferior quality. It's, it's usually blighted in some way. And that's why they have to get it off the ground. Because when it's on the ground, the dust and things cover the vine, cover the, the, the leaves... And how many of you know it's important that those leaves aren't covered by anything? What's the process, you brainiacs out there? What's the process that takes place? Yes, right over here. Ding, 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 ding. Photosynthesis, big word. It means it takes the energy of the sun and combines it with the water and the nutrients to produce life in that plant. And without that, it doesn't happen well. And when the vine is down along the ground, dust covers it, mud covers it, and it becomes very sickly. And the ground is a lot like sin in our lives. God wants us, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. God wants us to grow up in this world into Christ who is the head of the church, the head of the body, and as we grow, we allow the sun to energize us, to impart to us what we need for life. 
but we keep getting pulled back towards the dirt, the sin of the world. Do you know there's a pull by sin? Sin has a pull on us. And it's just like gravity. If we don't intentionally combat it, we're going to fall prey to it. It's going to take over our lives. As a Christian, now that you're saved, you don't ever sin, right? (laughs) The Bible says you and I have been freed from the power of sin. We don't have to sin anymore. Before we were saved, we could not do anything but sin. We would occasionally do good things, but our life was full of sin. As a Christian, we should be full of righteousness, full of God, and occasionally stumble back to sin. But just like these vines, when they're starting to get trained, they're lifted up. God lifts these vines, just like the vine dresser lifts the vines out of the dirt so that they don't experience the destruction that that ground-level living produces. Listen, as a Christian, you and I shouldn't be ground-level livers. If we're going from glory to glory, we need to get out of the dirt. Right? Because what does sin do? The wages of sin? And, And when you read it in other translations, it talks about the payoff of sin. What does what does sin always pay? Death. You can count on it. It's the way it is. It brings death. And we don't want death. We don't need death. We're trying to grow up in God so that death has less and less and less effect on our lives. People should be seeing the way, the truth, and the life in us, not death. But when sin is allowed, when we choose sin as a Christian, every time we sin, it's because we chose. Every time I sin, it's because I chose to sin. It was a choice. I was tempted. There was a pull of sin. The Bible says sin has pleasure for a season. And a lot of times, that's what people are living for, what, they, what pleases them for a moment. And so we give in to the pull of sin And we fall back into the dirt of sin. And it begins to rob because the enemy who is the orchestrator of sin comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what sin does in our life. It steals from us. It kills things. It destroys things. And so we, we need to realize that God comes along just like the vine dresser. And in this, it, Jesus tells us that he is the true vine. The Father, our Heavenly Father, is the vine dresser and we're the branches. And the fruit occurs out at the branches. And so the vine dresser walks through the vineyard. And in vineyards, every day this happens. And usually the size of these vineyards, it's not just one person that's a vine dresser. They have many vine dressers that walk down the aisles of the vines, vines on each side, and they're looking. They're looking to see if any of the branches that are growing have not begun to wrap around the wire. They're headed back to the ground. And what they do is they go up and they wrap it around the wire. Now, if it doesn't stay, do you know what they do? They tie it up there. They either use a little bit of rope 
a string, something to get the vine to stay up there. And, and why, why does he want it to stay up there? Because he's controlling? Because he wants to make the vine know who's boss? Why does he want it up there? Whose benefit? The vine's benefit, right? Now, there is a byproduct of the vine being benefited, and that is it produces fruit. But initially, it is solely and completely for the vine, that the vine would be healthy, that the, the branch would be healthy. And so in this, we, we realize that there is a, a lifting that God does but that lifting is a repositioning, a reorienting of where the vine has gone or wants to go. Now, in our lives, in Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about God's repositioning of us. And, and Hebrews chapter 12 comes after chapter 11. Doesn't, isn't that amazing truth? <laughs> yeah, 11 and 12, they go together, one after the other. Uh, but in chapter 11, does anybody remember what Hebrews chapter 11 is all about? Yes, the faith chapter. Hall of Fame of Faith, the heroes of faith. So we read about all these people that were, were living their lives in a fallen world that were being pulled by sin like everybody else, and yet they were able to rise above. Rise up to levels that other people would look at and say, man, you're amazing. But how many of you know that God wants all of us to be amazing? God's intended all of our lives to be inspirational, to be impacting to other people. And yet these people were, were up here and they, people looked at them and said, man, how do you do that? It was God. The same God you have access to, the same God I have access to. But then he starts out in chapter 12, and he says this, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Now, he's not just talking about sin, he's talking about weights, because this will fall into what we're learning about as we get further into it. But he said, let us lay aside every weight and sin which easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How many of you know if you're going out on a set course, you were not likely the one that set it? I want you to know you have a race to run. You don't set your own course. God sets our course. And you have got to understand, we've got to know, we've got to be confident in the fact that the course that God set for us is the best course for us. Because God always does the best for us. It is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So here we have this, this introduction to this chapter. And he's talking about laying aside every weight and every sin that easily, easily ensnares us. All right, when it, when it talks about ensnaring, that word means to stop progress. These weights, how many of you know if you get enough weight on you, you stop progress? Well, maybe you don't. We load ourselves up with weights, guilt, condemnation, lies from the enemy, and all of a sudden we just feel like I just want to quit. 
Anybody here besides me have experienced this? Man, we all do because the enemy is the same. And that's where we've got to realize we've got to be able to lay aside these things, these weights. Who's putting weights on you today? Because Jesus is removing weights. He said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. And then there was an exchange. Take my yoke, which is easy, and my burden, which is light. He doesn't put weights on us. He gives us light duty because he takes the heavy. And the moment you start to feel the pressure or the weight of the world or stress, I want you to know that's not God's doing. You need to reject that. You need to cast that care on God. Say, oh, no, 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 that's not mine, that's his. Easily ensnares us. That word ensnares means to stop progress in every direction. It's not just, well, I'm not going this way, but I can go this way. No, stop progress in every direction. Do you know who's behind that? Yeah, the enemy's behind that. He wants to stop your progress in every direction, bring you to a grinding halt. If you remember Psalm 1, it talks about the progress of what happens in a believer's life when they get associated with people that don't know God. And, and it, be, it ends with sitting in the seat of the scornful, stop progress, standing, walking in the way of the sinner, standing, and then sitting, stopping progress. The enemy wants to stop your progress because he can't stop God, but he can stop us if we let him. Remember, our, our big part is choice. What are we going to choose? What are we going to choose? Now, dropping down in chapter 12, verse 5, the apostle Paul uh, tells us, do we have verse 5? There it is. And have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons? My son, do not despair at the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Now, in the New Living Translation, it says this, and have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children. He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. Now, we live in a time in society where discipline and correction, most people don't want to have anything to do with it. Don't tell me what you think. Don't try and make me different than what I am. I'm going to tell you, these are just vines that are growing along the ground. Every one of us needs correction. Every one of us needs discipline. Lord, I pray that we would be open to truth. Because if we don't receive truth, we are not going to be free. We're not going to be what God has for us to be, and we're not going to do what God has for us to do. And if we aren't what God has for us to be, doing what God has for us to do, the world out there is not going to see Jesus the way they need to. And time is growing short. Have you forgotten? He speaks to you as his children, as his sons and daughters. Again, if we look at society for, for what is pictured that we look as a reference point, it's not the way it's supposed to be. 
When, when we have sons and daughters, we're supposed to be as parents desiring the best or the worst for them. Yeah, the best. And yet, as a human father, I desired the best, but I didn't always do the best. But thank God, when we're talking about this, this is not a human being. This is our Heavenly Father who's perfect, who always, 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 not only desires the best, but has the best for us. And anytime we go contrary to God, we miss out on His best. And yet we have a tendency to blame God when we don't get what he said and don't realize we didn't do what he said. And that's why we have to, we have to recognize there needs to be correction. Because whether you know it or not, we get off course on a regular basis. One of the things that we do here, we as, as a body of believers, as a church, as leadership, we evaluate, are we off course? God, are we doing what you have for us to do? Do, you, are, do we need to adjust? Do we need to get rid of some things? Do we need to, to lean into some things that we're already doing even more? Because if you don't evaluate, you'll never know where you are. And you and I can be led astray before we even realize it. And that's why it's important that we, we have this correction. The, the, the New King James Version talks about the chastening. Now, when I say the word chasten, just face value, does it have a good or a bad connotation? What's your impression of it? Bad. Exactly. Exactly. It, it's, it's like, oh, I don't want to be chastened. Don't do that to me. But do you, you need to know what the definition of chasten is because it is not bad. It is good and it is necessary. It is necessary. The word chasten means to educate. Do we need education? To instruct. Do we need instruction? Yeah, guys, we need instruction. Even when we're making things, we need to read the instructions first. Tutoring, do we need tutoring or mentoring? That was weak. Yes, we need that. How about this? Do we need nurturing? Absolutely. We need all these things. We also need correction. Do we need correction? Do we need training? That was weak too. <laughs> How about this one, discipline? Yes, we need all those equally. That's what chastening is. We need this. Our lives will not be what God intended or what we want them to be without it. The people that serve us in a variety of ways, you know, if, if people hadn't had the training and the discipline to go through the education and they decided that they wanted to be a doctor, a surgeon. And they just walked into the operating room and said, hey, you know what? I've always wanted to do this. Would you be like, yeah, go ahead? Absolutely not. 
But that's where, that's where we want it in other people, but we see the value and benefit of all this in other people. But when it comes to us, we don't want anybody telling us what to do or how to do it or what adjustment we need to make. And I will tell you, this is exactly what the Bible speaks about in the book of Matthew when it talks about the last days, about lawlessness. Lawlessness. This rebellious attitude that we have seen in our country just explode in the last two years. This, I'm not, nobody's telling me nothing. That's lawlessness. That's anarchy. That's the opposite of the kingdom of God. And, and when we talk about discipline, discipline, it's, it's very important that we understand when we talk about discipline what it means. The word discipline, the definition is to bring to a place of order and obedience. Order and obedience. When God disciplines us, he's bringing our lives into order and obedience. Isn't that amazing? Because that's what the kingdom of God is. When you and I get to heaven, we're not going to have any of the disorder we have here. I'm so grateful. (laughs) But God wants to get us on the spectrum here. He wants to get us to the place where our lives are becoming more orderly. And you know, many times people think, well, if I have to be in order, my life has to be in order, then I'm losing all the freedom I have. Do you know the Bible talks about two different types of freedom? There's the freedom that God gives. And that freedom that we have in Christ, we need to use to serve God because he created us in a way that he knows how to use us so that we'll be fulfilled. And then there's another freedom, a freedom that we use for ourselves. It's a selfish freedom. And that selfish freedom causes all sorts of problems in our lives. And that's why it's important for us to allow God and invite God and realize how much we need God to discipline our lives. And and it's not beatings, it's not all of that, but he corrects us. He corrects us. Now, uh, dropping down to verse 7, reading this, and, and there are a couple of verses in between that you can get really tripped up on if you do not study, if you don't really investigate what the words mean, because the translation, again, is not real good. And next, next week, I'll, I'll share a little bit about that. But right here, we've got to get on because we've got to get out of here. I've got to get you out of here. <laughs> so verse 7, it says, you must submit to and endure correction for discipline Uh, God is dealing with you as with sons. Now, who is God? He is your father. He is also what? Love, right? God is love. And that love always does the best. Doesn't react in anger or disappointment, never like that. It's always desiring the best and doing the best for us. What son is there in whom the father does not uh, train and correct and discipline? Now, if you are exempt from correction and left without discipline, in which all of God's children share, then you are illegitimate offsprings and not true sons at all. Moreover, when we had earthly fathers who disciplined us 
and we yielded to them and respected them for the training for training us shall we not much more cheerfully submit to the father of spirits and so truly live for our earthly fathers disciplined us for only a short period of time and chased chastised us as seemed proper and good to who them none of us have had perfect parents they were doing the best they knew how at that time all right but he, talking about God, disciplines us for our certain good that we may become sharers in his own holiness. The Bible tells us we're to pursue peace and holiness without which no one will see God. If people are going to see God, a holy God, they're going to see that holiness in you. It's the way it works. That's the way God intended it. Go ahead. <clears throat> oh, for the time being, discipline brings joy. Oh, no, no discipline brings joy but seems grievous and painful. But afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. A harvest of fruit, which consists of in righteousness and conformity to God's will and purpose, thought and action resulting in right living and right standing with God. But it says it's painful for a minute. And I've got to tell you, there's, there's, do you know that there's good pain and bad pain? There's good pain and bad pain. Now, Debbie's motto is no pain, no pain. But she's, she's coming to the truth. Because there's good pain. And she saw it. There was bad pain. And, and all of, most of you saw it in my life with my back. And then I went for surgery. And you know what? The surgery was painful. But that was good pain. That was healing pain. There's a healing pain God wants to bring to your lives. Don't. Don't run from pain. Recognize where the pain is coming from. Resist it when it's the enemy's pain. Receive it when it's God's pain because God's pain will bring wholeness and blessing and benefit. The Bible says right here, this discipline, those that will receive the correction and the discipline of God, their lives are going to be enriched and better. Far better. And that's why God does. He lifts us up. He takes us from where we were. God, God is lifting us. God is looking to lift us from where we have been to where he has for us to be, to be who he has for us to be and do what he has for us to do, which is far beyond anything we could imagine or dream. Like every head bowed, every eye closed. This is God's plan for you. This is God's plan for everybody, but not everybody will receive God's plan. Many people want to do it their way. And unfortunately, even in the church, we receive salvation because we don't want to go to hell, but we don't want to do God's will here on earth because we think we're going to miss out on something. God, God will never have you miss out on anything except that which would destroy you, would steal from you. And remember, Sin has pleasure for a season. The sin always comes dressed up as if it were one of the best things you could have, but it always robs more than you ever dreamed. Always costs you more than you ever wanted to pay. Always keeps you more than you ever dreamed it would. Keeps you from the things that God has for you. And so today, if you realize that this word was for you, it's important you let God know. 
You acknowledge it. You let him know, God, I'm aware. You know what? I, I, you've been trying to lift me and I've been fighting you. God, I don't want to fight you anymore. I, I want to. I want to be trained by you. I want to be instructed by you. I want to be nurtured by you. I want to be tutored by you. I want to be mentored by you. I want to be disciplined by you. I want you to bring my life back into order. And that comes in the form of obedience. Father, help me to be quick to obey. Help us to be complete in our obedience, not partial obedience, because partial obedience is disobedience. Father, help us not justify or rationalize why we think we shouldn't do what you, you and your word have shown us to do. Because, Father, we're just being deceived, and where there's deception, there's loss. So, Father, help us to come to that place where we're bearing fruit because we're allowing you to lift us, lift areas of our lives out of the sin, out of the compromise, out of the crud that, that the enemy wants to bring to our lives. That, Father, we would be able to truly and freely and fully live and move and have our being in you. We thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. would you stand? Remember next week, uh, as, as uh, it was said, if you come here at this time next week, you'll be here alone. Uh, only one service next week, and that is the 1030 service. Um, those of you that are going out to the Boilermaker, God's going to use you. You may never know what God does through you this side of heaven, but just by your availability, God's able to use you. Amen. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each and every one of your children. I thank you, Father, for the plan that you have for each and every one of us, a plan for good and not for evil with a future and a hope. But, Father, when we deviate from your plan, we deviate from your good. We deviate from your best. And, Father, we need to realize by our choice, that's our part. Our part in the partnership is choosing. Choosing. Father, help us evaluate our choices this week, whether we're going to choose what you want or what we want or what someone else wants. Father, we don't want to choose our own will. We don't want to choose somebody else's will. There's only one thing that is the best will for our life, and that's your will. So, Father, we thank you for making clear through your word and by your spirit what your will is. Your spirit will never violate your will. And so help us have a love for your word that we would grow in your knowledge so that when we have to make choices, we'll know what your word, your will already is. We thank you, Father, for this. We thank you for this week. Father, we thank you for being with us and guiding us with your eye. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. have a great week.